everyone, welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Beauchamp. I am here with the CEO of Drumwave, Michelle Dennity. Today we're talking privacy and data and how to make it work for you. So stick around. Michelle, thank you so much for calling in all the way from sunny, sunny and probably warm California. Warm-ish, it's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're dealing with cold over here on the um, in the Northeast, but I think we're warming up hopefully soon. But anyway, we're here to talk about data privacy. And I think when a lot of us hear privacy, I know I'm certainly one of them, I hear, I think, okay, data privacy laws. And it makes you feel as if sort of data is something that is inherently mishandled, but is that really the truth? Not at all. And I'm glad you're raising that, um, I think, a misconception and a missed opportunity. So when you think about privacy, I think there's two sorts of reactions. One is it's either super law, super regulated, and your doctor, no, I can't talk to people I want to talk to. I can't market to people I want to talk to. Or you think, mine, 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 mine. Privacy is about hiding in our little cloistered worlds and not being observed. Privacy is actually a much more nuanced and interesting conversation. It's about authorized sharing of information according to ethical, moral, and legal guidelines. So it's a technology conversation, it's a legal and policy conversation, and it's a business and culture conversation. So how can we think of our data as something that isn't something to be afraid of. Is this a relatively new conversation? Have we always been afraid of data? I think we've been afraid of data for a super long time. So privacy laws go far, far back into history, into the Code of Hammurabi, where you talk about technology and availability. There's actually a lot that says in the Code of Hammurabi what happens to you if you peek into the window of your neighbor and look upon his wife in a state of undress. Oh, my. Well, the consequences were a bit dire. It was a different time. Um, but what they were talking about was technology, it was possible to look into your neighbor's home, behaviors that clearly were going on, people are curious and they were doing things, and the prohibitions against those activities based on the technology that was available at the time and the balance of cultural needs and norms. So the cultural privacy goes back into ancient times. The talk about data as an asset is starting to be a newer conversation that's collecting steam. But one of my great idols, Rear Admiral Grace Hopper, said in 1965 that data would someday be on the corporate balance sheet because in many cases, it's more valuable than the hardware that processes it. It's over 50 years, kids. It's time to get on this. <laughs> that's a really interesting point that it's it seems something that has maybe been shifted into the you know public conversation more often, I would think that a lot of our viewers are acutely aware of the fact that a lot of tech companies are profiting very much off of their data. And that's why you maybe see some of these consumer privacy laws coming in and trying to stop some companies from benefiting and profiting off of user data in a way that seems unfair. But it seems like people are sort of more aware of how it could be of how their data is used. And do you think that's leading to people sort of taking, you know, feeling in control? I think yes and no. I think as soon as you start talking about 
transparency as some sort of magical elixir. Here, I'm going to tell you what I collect about you. And then suddenly it's some sort of a get out of jail free card, or I have to say either share everything or share nothing. It turns into this weird dichotomy where you're not really advancing the, the real dynamic. I think to look at it, let's look at it in the context of the here and now. We're in the middle of stay-at-home orders all over the world fighting a global pandemic by staying isolated from each other because we don't have a cure for this type of disease. So what are we doing in reaction? Almost every conversation overnight, whether you had these long-winded discussions about bring your own device and should you allow your workers to work from home, guess what, they're working from home. So we're using that digital, those digital services. And I think we can look at it in one of two ways. You can trust the digital services because you have no other choice. You're in your home and if you want to work, you have to turn on your screen and share, you know, welcome to my home office or whatever place you are. I can turn on the technology and you can see, you know, the Golden Gate Bridge or stars or whatever Zoom has on the menu today. You can also look at this in a business and consumer partnership sort of fashion. What are the assets right now that are valuable? My team is stretched across the, the, the whole world. So down in Brazil, up in Canada, all the way in Spain. And we have conversations where I can look into their faces, sort of guess things about their moods that's not coming from a, a digital sort of conversational word or text. And we can have a conversation and do business. Um, I think that is a blessing. Understanding that that information can be intellectual property that drives Drumwave Incorporated. That conversation can be deeply personal. That conversation can be possessed and observed by third parties if we're not careful. These sorts of reevaluations are not just during a crisis or a pandemic. I believe that we are not talking about getting back to normal anything. The world has changed. We went digital overnight. We've been prophesying that the world was going to experience a digital transformation ever since the internet allowed us to have searchability and mail addresses connecting everything. So I think the reality is that we're all experiencing data in a totally new way. And we all know we're not gonna have a lot of currency in the next several months. But what I do know is you're gonna have a lot more data. And so the question is what's next? Right. And I think my question for you then is sort of twofold. How can, you know, like you said, enterprises have shifted to using a lot of these collaboration tools. I mean, we're connecting right now via Zoom, virtually, Zoom. virtually overnight. So how can enterprises, first of all, make sure that, you know, the value that they're getting out of the product, that their perhaps their privacy isn't being compromised? And on the other hand, how can these vendors that are now experiencing massive, massive, massive upticks in use. I mean, I think Zoom said that some their daily video calls went, or maybe monthly but from December to now has just exponentially increased. So they're experiencing a ton more traffic. How can those sorts of collaboration tool companies make sure that they're doing right by their data and using that in a way that benefits them? And also they aren't, you know, messing with all of their customers on the other end. Yeah, and I, I think it's, um, you know, Zoom has been called out for having encryption um, that was not what was expected, et cetera. I think if you look at 
all of these tools and, and when the, the place and time where they're invented and created and the capacity, as you've said, I heard from another vendor this morning that they had something like 60 billion seconds of meeting minutes um, since January of 2020. That's an enormous bandwidth load of, of um, uh, transaction. I would say every conversation is a digital transaction. So think about if we talk about banking with our digital assets, we're talking about the World Bank exploding with digital currency. So to your question, what can vendors do and what can consumers do? I think it's the time. I mean, this is like, you know, so biased and ridiculous of me, but it could be time for some privacy engineering. Hello. So let me quickly just say privacy by design is the policy. The outcome you want to have is a shared dynamic where you're not having a, an, a default conversation that says corporations get to take advantage of individuals and individuals don't have any rights in their information and their digital livelihood. Privacy by design says literally you should be designing better. Design is great. Policy is great. Architecture is important but engineers are builders, we're problem solvers. So privacy engineer looks across the people, process and technology and says, what do, does fair principle mean? How do we disclose it for that transparency? How do we build controls in so that we know that we're doing well? How do we meter it? Welcome to Drumwave Incorporated understanding what your metrics are and your digital assets mean to you. And then how are you actually communicating that with some sense of choice? Do we have a black and white option or is there something in there where we can have custom communications and expectations where we're actually competing on our ability to manage digital assets? And of course my hard bias is, I think it's a pretty good way to satisfy a customer to meet them where they are and have some available tools for customization. So now that we're seeing that a lot of these companies are experiencing, you know, massive, massive upticks in traffic, is it too late for privacy by design? I mean, is that something that needs to be thought of from, you know, minute one, the sec you know, right after you figure out a name for your company, the second thing that you're thinking is privacy? Yeah, so I, it's really interesting. So um, I started out my career in privacy working for Scott McNeely, who said you had zero privacy anyway, get over it. And he sits on my board now, actually, all these years later, over 20 years later, and we still sort of have some fundamental disagreements and some fundamental, really fundamental agreements. And the disagreement I have is that technology gets to choose. So just because you can, doesn't mean you should. So just because we can observe everything and just because it's possible for your employer to, to tell you to leave your camera on all the time because they're too lazy to come up with metrics to measure you with, not that I'm biased, um, <laughs> doesn't mean that that's gonna be appropriate. So I think it's, uh, um, I heard actually just recently I was giving a talk back when we could travel and give talks elsewhere. Um, and somebody said, well, because there's been, you know, breach du jour, I can't even remember what it was anymore. Doesn't that prove to you at last that privacy is dead because this guy was able to hack, I know what it was, they hacked uh, Bezos's phone. He, somebody hacked his phone. And first of all, it wasn't a hack, it was a bad password. 
Um, shame on him. Um, so it wasn't a, a technological flaw. It was a user error and, and potentially maybe we need better passwords. That's a new innovation. But what I said to the fellow at the time, and I do believe this is true, is are we saying that privacy is dead because we don't have the tools to serve that very human fundamental need? And if that is true, let's follow the same logic. So banks have fraud all the time. People steal currency, sometimes at knife point on the subway when we used to take the subway, um, and sometimes electronically. Does the fact that we are able to steal currency from banks mean that banks are dead? I'm so confused. Maybe I just have a simple mind, but it seems to me that if we want to use currency, we protect banking transactions and we have some regulations and we figure out how to make loans and share currency and use it for whatever we want to do, social, economic or business needs. Why should a digital asset be so fundamentally different that just because it's hard means that it doesn't exist anymore? I think it's not too late. Well, that's certainly good news. <laughs> and I think <laughs> and I think it really echoes a lot of what um, the sort of like, you know, tenant of, you know, privacy is very closely related, you know, sibling, twin, um, that security is always about minimizing the risk. You're never going to have a 100% foolproof security practice. Perhaps like you maybe never also have like a 100% foolproof privacy practice. But when you start to minimize that risk, is that when you can really start to get the most out of all of this, out of your data? Exactly. I think code in particular, you know, before we even get to privacy, just functionality in general in the digital world, it's as clumby, clum, clumby, I just, perfect example of accidentally, it's as clumsy as language. I can say clumby and, and it doesn't hopefully ruin all my credibility, I just misspoke. So you can have errors as long as you correct those errors. Some are huge, 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 and you can't come back from that. And others are mistaken um, trust in vendors or a switch that was not turned off. After, after a pandemic, you shared too much information in a panic but didn't plan to take it off. So I think there's a lot of nuance along the way, and I think we're going to stumble, and I think there is going to be errors made. But I think that as we somehow muddle through the 2000 different languages that are on the current planet. I think we're gonna also fumble our way through the 7 billion different choices we make as individuals, whether you're a twin or not, it's a perfect case study. Do you have bodily integrity from your twin? Of course <laughs> you do, no one would doubt that. Do you have a special relationship with this person? Absolutely, but those two things do not mean that you, you can join. And so all decisions are one monolithic thing. So taking it back to, you know, the here and now, what are some steps that you'd recommend, um, especially I think collaboration vendors, which as I think I've said, you know, a million times in this video and a million times over on our channel are experiencing a massive uptick in traffic. What are some steps that they can take now to ensure privacy and that they also don't get burned once this is all in by their customers for mishandling data? 
Yeah. And it, so I'll, I'll expand it way beyond collab because, you know, we're also shopping online differently. We're doing telemedicine like we've never done before. And maybe we don't ever go back for the common cold. There's not really a great reason for you to infect other people in the, in the doctor's office. If you can do telemedicine, for example, very sensitive information, changing hands. I will say to every organization, whether you're a not-for-profit or you're a government agency or you're a massive multi-billion minute per day collaboration space, the number one thing you need to do is understand your digital assets. I don't know where you're going. I know every organization is going somewhere slightly different, but what I do know down to my core is that data is an asset. It is our most powerful currency, particularly in these uncertain times, and you need a map. So if you haven't figured out how to really get a hold of your digital assets, um, figure out how to map them. I happen to know a company, drumwave.com. That's why we exist. There's a reason a privacy person is a CEO of this type of company, because I understand the inherent integrity and asset value when you balance value including values like ethics and humanity and individuality and autonomy with risk, loss, degradation, defamation, all those nasty brand bad things that happen. That's your digital balance sheet. That's what Grace Hopper was talking about in 1965. Balance so that your asset value of your data exceeds the risks that you're taking and be able to show that metric. I think that's really, really important. Of course, I'm very biased, but <laughs> thought about this a lot. <laughs> so obviously it seems like there's really no one size fits all privacy practice, much like there's no one size fits all practice for virtually everything. But then what to the, your point that, you know, there's baseline rules that we need to follow. What's the benefit of these privacy regulations? You know, GDPR, CCPR, obviously the big ones, since if there's no one size fits all. I think if you look to the core of, I'll say 99% of these regulations, you'll find the fair principles that we laid out in the 1960s and, and even earlier. And it really is talking about the word fair sounds so mushy. Engineers hate it. They're like, we didn't, we didn't go into these math classes because we liked to, to parse words. We're here for the zeros and the ones, kids. So how do you break down fairness and fair principles? Things like transparency, so you're not surprising people. What does informed consent mean? Whether you're calling it opting in or opting out, it's giving enough information so that you're having a transaction having the control so that people can make a choice whether to share or not share without bias. Understanding that security is a absolutely critical component of privacy and intellectual property management. It used to be this old saw of like, well, you can have security without privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. Somehow that made it sort of a dichotomy where privacy was somehow subordinate no, privacy is the what and the why. Security can be your how. So understanding that these principles repeat over and over again, whether it's GDPR, whether it's the newly revised rules in New Zealand, the LGPD down in Brazil, you're starting to see these buckets again and again of tell me what you're doing, 
prove to me that you're being ethical and legal and moral and give me some control. Great. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate you calling in. Lots of great info. And it's it makes a lot of sense to think about hand, you have this massive amount of data of your corporation and you can be doing a lot of good, not just, you know, for yourself, but I think you could also probably be doing some good in terms of customized, you know, experiences for a customer with that data. It's not all scary bad. Absolutely. And, and your employees, we have had to have, we have had to serve our employees like never before. If you didn't understand that your human resources department isn't just about not getting you sued, it's time to serve. And some of these digital experiences that your, your employees are having now and how you're measuring their success is everything's changed now. So you have to rethink leadership from inside out. Who are your employees? Who are your partners? How do we know we're being successful? All of those answers are digital. Great. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you so much for calling in. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this episode, be sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. If you have any questions, comments about privacy, please leave them below or any tips about getting the most out of your data without running into any sort of big lawsuit. We'd love to hear it. Leave them below. Thanks again for watching, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.